0: Ladies and gentlemen and corner kick fam, welcome back. It's been a long international break that's felt like far more than 10 days. But alas, here we are. I'm Nathan Strauss, joined as always by a man who has finally been able to get his packages out of his Amazon locker. It's Caleb Rhodes.
1: Dude, we need like an Amazon whistleblower. Where is the Francis Haugen of Amazon, but specifically from the Amazon locker division? Something's going on there. Is Wayfair really FAIR involved? Oh, my God, Caleb.
2: I feel like this is (laughs) is tough because the the listeners have no uh, context about what you're talking about. Caleb, do you want to shed some light briefly on your Amazon struggles? Just
1: just don't use an Amazon locker. Or if you have a mail room in your building, don't put an Amazon locker in
0: there. We're also joined by a man whose ex-wife didn't reconcile with him (laughs) and then post a picture (laughs) saying, actually, maybe we didn't reconcile. It's Nick (laughs) Gavinden.
2: I thought for a second you were talking about like my (laughs) (laughs) ex-wife, which I've never been married. So it would have been very confusing if that had been addressed to me. But yes, with all the big news in the soccer world that has been, you know, being fed to us over the past few days. One of the more peculiar stories has been the ongoing feud between Mara Ricardi and Wanda Nara, his domestic partner. Um, and yes, they seem to be having a very public feud over social media uh, is both very sad and also slightly entertaining. If you want to go see that play out in real time. Yeah. I mean, football is one of the greatest soap operas in the world. And, you know that that continues to be the case with Maro and, and Wanda I guess
0: Yeah I think it's going to be uh, a very interesting thing to
2: watch it's always- but yes, I I do is, I am not involved in this <laughs> as True. Nathan seems uh, to uh try and indicate
0: I wasn't trying to indicate it. I was just sort of using
1: it as a general a lead
2: Wait, into our Wait this is crazy like
1: I sorry he's in his third season at PSG now Yeah,
0: yeah. Well it's like second and a half because he was a winter arrival, right? He was a, a January loany at first.
1: Nope. Really? Unless unless he didn't play the first half of like the 2019-20 season for Inter because he was
2: forcing his way out or something. I think that's what happened. Um, I could have I could have swor- yeah. I could have
0: sworn he was a genuine a a winter loanee, but I also get this stuff wrong all the time. So uh, but we've got some big news to go over before but before we get to the, the biggest news, we may as well uh give a recap of some of the more fun games from this last weekend, starting off with a game which featured six bangers, uh, four of them for the good team and two of them for the less good team managed by a less good coach, Leicester versus United. I thought this game was going to go a very different way, but a couple of bad performances in a row have uh, have me back to being um, full on, you know, Ole as a fraud. I'm curious if this weekend has reinforced those, Views for you guys because I know we've we've shared this conversation a lot.
2: I think it just reinforces to me that Ole and obviously Leicester have snapped Manchester United's 29-game away unbeaten streak this weekend. So that's kind of a momentous domino that has fallen for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I think in the same way that Newcastle United, when we come to talk about them, are going to be looking for a transitional coach who can build something of a structure for them for a world-class coach to take over in the future, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is or has been that sort of peacemaker transitional coach for Manchester United. And I think in a lot of ways, this all goes back to the final in Gdansk against Villarreal, you know, that epic penalty shootout loss. And I think that was probably the time for Ole to step aside as a United coach. I think that was probably the pinnacle of what he was going to be able to do for this club. But now he's like really in it where he's having to find a way to figure out how to integrate Cristiano Ronaldo, who's been playing very poorly. The goals seem to have dried up for him uh, in the past few games. Mason Greenwood, who scored a brilliant goal in this game, but is still being shunted out wide to the right. Jadon Sancho, who's been you know quite poor in his first few weeks as a Manchester United player, you know, not made much of an impact at all. And he's still trying to find a way to integrate those players in the side with Bruno, with Pogba, with Anthony Martial, with a returning Marcus Rashford. There is just a lot of hands in the basket now for Ole to manage. And it's getting to the point where he's even upset Marcus Rashford with his comments to the press about, you know, Rashford needing to focus on his football, quote unquote, which I, I suppose was supposed to be kind of a very tender comment, but it turns out like in David Ornstein's reporting today in The Athletic that it's really upset Rashford. And so now even Ole's man management skills, which are kind of the thing that he's best at in his repertoire as a coach seem to be backfiring against him. I just think it's all really adding up for a season where United have invested so much into the team that they really need to be contending for a Premier League title with Liverpool City and Chelsea. And they're just not because of the limitations of their coach. And I think it's time to, and they're not gonna sack him because United are very slow to sack coaches. But I think we're very clearly coming to the end of the reign of Ole. And I think they need to find a quote unquote world-class manager as soon as possible.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm just happy every week when Man U is pretty bad and all of our predictions about Man U just, you know, continue to get confirmed. I think, yeah, the the thing with Marcus Rashford was, I think one of his worst moments of like bad management. I've, I've seen from like a coach in general, like Marcus Rashford, he's basically saying like, you're spending too much time, like giving kids food and not enough time, like recovering from injury to be on the field. And that's like, not the message and it's also like not his fault that he's been injured but i think the bigger man management issue that he's going to have especially as you know ronaldo is probably the worst of man U's attacking players um in the game i thought in a weird way even though sancho didn't have a goal or an assist this is probably the best he's looked for them i think the issue they have is pogba clearly just can't play in a two he needs to be further up but you can't bench ronaldo like, you can't bench Ronaldo, because who knows what happens if Ole tries to bench Ronaldo. Like, the hissy fit of all, like, wow. Um, and they've kind of put themselves in this position. And it's not like they deserve to win this game either. I mean, like, Lester played toe-to-toe with them, outshot them, you know, pretty well. So I think Ole needs to kind of prove that he is, like, the leader of this side and that has to start with making tough decisions around ronaldo and not like beating up you know knighted members of his squad yeah Um, this is a western
0: team that had been really struggling too they had had some really poor form over their first 10 games of the season um, across all competitions and then greenwood's goal early on was fantastic like it was just a banger it's the kind of goal that he scores like three or four times a year and you're like dang I wish he could score other goals that weren't, like, him cutting in to the left. He's sort of like a young, less good Robin in that it's his only real finishing move. It's just, like, he's so good at shaping the ball like that. But then, you know, Tillman's had his goal, and Harry Maguire was really bad. Like, really, really bad. It was one of his worst games, I think, with United.
2: It was one of his worst games, United shirt. But also, alternatively, it was probably one of his better games for Leicester City. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah but he didn't he, look yeah. fully fit, did he? No, he
0: no. really he really didn't uh, and I uh, Michael Cox wrote a really good article this morning. I think it's in the Athletic about Ronaldo's how Ronaldo just does not fit in tactically whatsoever at United and so he
2: barely gets any touches of the ball. He yeah, gets like 24 touches yeah, per game or something.
0: And it's not good. And like it was sort of he I think people were expecting like 2013 to 2016 Ronaldo to like somehow magically come back and it's just, that's just not the player who he is, and it's totally detrimental to the way United play, like, even Cavani, I think, offers more to their team when he's in the starting 11, but obviously, you can't, I mean, you just can't bench Ronaldo, because it would be, like, the ultimate, uh, whatever the opposite of a power play is, like, um, it would be shooting yourself in the foot with, like, the biggest shotgun ever, like, he is so, so beloved for whatever reason, Um, so, yeah, I think it's, there's some, some interesting dilemmas there, and, Personally, I hope they drag it out as long as possible because it's just hilarious to watch.
2: I think they will because United and Joel Glazer specifically are so slow to make any real changes at like sort of the executive suite level. Like you look at how long it's taking for Ed Woodward to step aside after it came out like several months ago that he'd be leaving the club. And you look at how long it took for them to sack Louis Van Hall, to sack Josie Mourinho, to even sack David Moyes. And they kind of wait for assurances to go down before they sack coaches like with Moyes it was the assurance that the team was not going to make the Champions League with Van Hall, it was the same with Mourinho I think they let him hang on for a long time so that it would be less expensive for them to let him go and I think for Ole who they just gave a new contract to this team is going to need to be performing at like a, a bottomed out a truly bottom of the barrel type of way for them to make any sort of change at the managerial level which for United fans is probably just going to frustrate them even more.
0: Well, do we want to use that? Uh, do we want to talk at all about Liverpool making Watford feel like they were uh, dead and never to come back alive think- briefly? Just because Mo Salah had the nicest assist of the year. Uh, Nick, do you want to just... And the goal nicest best?
1: goal of the year, honestly.
0: Yeah, actually, he probably had both, honestly.
2: but I'm interested to hear what you guys think because Caleb and I actually had hung out for a bit yesterday, which is fun. But um, we were talking about Mo Salah. And I think we kind of came to the consensus that like, right now, you know, sitting here October 18th, 2021, Mo Salah has claim to like the form player in all of the world right now. You know, he's got 11 goals and assists on the season. He's scoring some of the most incredible goals that like you, It'd be kind of nearly impossible to even replicate in FIFA, you know, particularly the two against uh, the one against Watford and the one against Man City, where he just deleted Imeric Laporte and he took on basically five Watford players and managed to find the back of the net. This guy is playing some of the most absurdly brilliant soccer I've certainly ever seen anyone play in the Liverpool shirt, perhaps second only to Luis Suarez. And it's like Liverpool need to sort out his contract immediately because you can't – this guy is going to be a 25-plus season goal scorer for this team for the next two to three years, perhaps even four years because this man is, like, one of the fittest people on the planet. And I think the club essentially – I'm not saying, like, give him what he wants, but I think FSG needs to be far more lenient in their kind of negotiating practices, than they've been with like the Genie Wynaldums and the Emery Shans of the world. And Mo Salah is going to go down as a club legend. He's going to go down as a Premier League legend. And they need to find a way to keep him at the club for the, an extended period of time. They cannot let him walk and they cannot let him become unhappy because look at what he's doing right now when like there is a bit of that in the air. And imagine he- what he's going to be able to do when he's like fully comfortable.
0: He is he is the form player in the world right now
1: um maybe maybe one other player would be Benzema would be yeah, the closest yes, Enzema, other player
0: Lewandowski is probably up there too I think but it's hard to measure those comparisons because Salah is doing it against every team in the world in, in the Champions League and the competition isn't always equal but anyways Liverpool five nil winners at the weekend uh also a hat trick for Firmino who discovered that He can score goals again. Um,
1: Although one of his goals was like a tap in. One of his goals was two of his goals are tap ins. Yeah, well, one of his goals is like off of a defensive error from Cathcart when he was like offsides. But that whole thing,
2: I think it just goes to show you how last season we were all talking about how good Liverpool were going to be with like the additions they made to the squad. You know, Thiago, etc. And then everyone got injured and United got a taste of what it was like to you know, have some of their first choice center backs injured this weekend. And it's not fun and it really inhibits the full potential of your team. And now Liverpool are operating at close to full potential. And it's really scary for other teams in the Premier League. And they can score a lot of goals and they can create a lot of chances and they can do that while keeping clean sheets. And I think as Virgil van Dijk you know, slowly comes back to his best. Joel Matip has been probably, in my money, like the form defender in the Premier League. He's been unbelievable uh, to start the season off. Trent Alexander-Arnold was immaculate in his return from injury. This Liverpool team is going to go the distance to contend for the Premier League, I think, you know, barring any another injury-laden catastrophe in midseason. Um, and we'll see how things go around Afcon as well. But I think if Liverpool are able to plan it out well, and you know, budget their resources, and find a way to rotate effectively, I think this team can challenge with Chelsea and City yeah. come May.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess and elsewhere around the elsewhere around the league, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Uh, it wasn't the biggest weekend for massive clashes. You had City beating Burnley, only 2-0 this time. Chelsea sort of squeaked by Brentford in a game where Brentford actually outcreated them about 2.5 to 1, and Edward Mendy made, like, six fantastic saves.
2: Some absolutely ridiculous
0: saves. Uh, You had Wolves scoring three goals in the last, what, 28 minutes or so. Uh, Oh, the last... Actually, less than that. It was in the last, like, 15 uh, minutes, to, to come back in the, the Midland derby against Villa. Yes. And, uh, but I, I actually didn't watch that game, believe it or not. Uh, so I guess we can, that leads us into the, uh, the final match that we can discuss, not Arsenal drawing with palace because that game sucked enough of the life out of me today. There's nothing worse than being sick and debating whether or not to take a nap only to say, screw it. Like I'll stay awake. I'll watch Arsenal. And then like, 45 minutes in being like, crap, I should have just taken a nap. But anyways, Spurs and Newcastle were playing. Uh, it was the first game since Saudi Arabia's public investment fund uh, had been approved to take over the club. From and Mike the Ashley.
2: Ruben brothers and Amanda Stavely. But obviously the, but there's the Saudi one, public yeah. investment fund is the main you know source of contention.
0: Yes, they are worth almost $100 billion, making uh, them far and away the most lucrative owners of any Prem team. Um, There's obviously incredible uh, ethical concerns with uh, things that Saudi Arabia has done. As we've talked about on this podcast for like literally two years now, Um, you know, we had a whole episode focused on this rumor during um, when play was halted before the COVID shutdown. But it went through kind of in an instant. Like, literally, we went from hearing no news about it to 24 hours later, uh, Martin Ziegler of The Guardian just confirming that it went through. Um, Where do you guys want to start with our discussion of this?
1: I mean, maybe we should talk about the game first, and then we can talk about Saudi Arabia. Like, work our way backwards, forwards. I don't know. A a direction. Um, I mean, in terms of the game, Spurs looked... I, I suppose livelier than they have recently. They're still minus three goal difference on the year, but they're fifth place in the league now. They still have five wins in eight. Somehow they pretty much either win or lose every game, which probably has made it difficult for us to analyze them. But good to see Kane on the board. Good to see uh, San on the board. And I will say, I, I think I've been a little initially like critical of like skip getting all these minutes, but I don't think I appreciated that, you know, he was very good in the championship last year and was in the championship team of the year. So he's definitely kind of earned these minutes. Although I still have questions about, you know, why Lo Celso barely gets a look in. And it's kind of crazy in this game, uh, Nuno made zero subs at all. Um, So I think he's kind of starting to settle on who his go-to team is um but they're actually doing better than you know i think you might have guessed like i think if i asked you guys where do you think spurs are in the table we'd all probably say like seventh or eighth like reflexively but they're in fifth behind brighton so like they're functionally in fourth right so spurs and they also started
0: romero which is a move that we've been advocating for for a while right Uh, also want to shout out Eric Dyer and Sergio Reguillon for...
2: Yes.
0: Mm. So a a fan, a Newcastle fan, went into cardiac arrest and people in the crowd alerted Reguillon and Dyer and they made sure to talk to the referee to get the physio with the defibrillator into the stands and basically save a life because the fan ended up being in stable condition at the hospital. Um, But it takes a lot of, I think, awareness, but also a lot of courage to stop the game um, and like sort of try and get the referee to notice this and I think the match was actually officially like abandoned for a long time before being resumed mm-hmm. so props to them I think um obviously and those there was two-
2: also the um the doctor in the yeah, stadium who administered well. CPR and who probably like heavily yeah. contributed to saving this fan's life and, and this is like just a reminder like this is the second you know cardiac incident involving soccer football that we've seen you know in the past few months obviously the most prolific being that of christian ericsson during the euros and i think it is just kind of a reminder that this is just a sport and it's entertainment and we gonna, we're gonna we're we're about to talk about something that is very much not you know in the entertainment side of things very much has like a human cost associated with it in saudi arabia but i think this is just a reminder that like uh the the just like how fragile this thing that we watch every week is at times, you know, in comparison to, um, you know, livelihood and things like that. Like it was a, I'm, I always am kind of like struck by moments like these that they kind of come out of nowhere and are very scary and you kind of watch them play out in real time because this, it becomes so intimate and things like that. But yeah, like props to Region and Dyer, who I think, you know, acted really decisively and quickly and shout out to the, that Newcastle fan who was a doctor as well. It was just also- amazing. Also, Amazing checked, to witness. Yeah,
0: Give but it obviously, me. it wasn't just the match that played out that had you know far-reaching implications. People thought there was going to be a change at the helm of Newcastle. Transfer markets already put out a graphic with like every single transfer rumor for players <laughs> who have been rumored to go to Newcastle, and it's all over the place. It's players like hummes It's players like Icardi. Uh, it's basically anyone who you can imagine has been linked to a big club in the last year and a half. Players with stature. Um, who could possibly be tempted to basically rebuild a fallen giant? Because it was before our time, really, that Newcastle were a powerhouse. It was the sheer days. It was, you know, the the kind of performances that inspired the film Dream to be about. Kevin
2: Keegan, his manager. Yeah, it was a long
0: time ago. Um, and so we don't actually know those. Or I don't, at the very least, remember well, those let's, glory days. Let's start yeah. at
2: the beginning. Let's start at the beginning, right? So the takeover goes through, you know, while we're on a bit of an international hiatus. The, you know, set. Well, I think, Nathan, you indicated that we had discussed, you know, the implications of Saudi Arabia being involved with the Premier League. Um, you and know,
1: MBS in particular, right? Yeah,
2: this, yeah. The, the Saudi Public Investment Fund for backing this initiative are chaired by MBS as well as, you know, several other Saudi ministers of government. And, you know, before we even talk about, you know, the football implications of this, I think it is really important to highlight the fact that the Premier League, you know, were several days removed from this takeover being official. Um, Amanda Staveley and the other gentleman involved in this takeover, I'm forgetting his name, but they were at the stadium, you know, they were met with kind of a, a rapturous reception from the Newcastle faithful. It was the first time St. James's Park had been fully sold out you know, without Newcastle having to give like a heavily discounted ticket rates or like tickets away in uh, the Ashley era for a very, very long time. The excitement for this was, you know, you could see it splayed everywhere on social media from Newcastle supporters to the sense that the Newcastle supporters trust their poll of pro takeover or anti-takeover was 94% pro takeover. Like there's a heavy, heavy amount of excitement from this for this from Newcastle supporters. And some of it was a bit kind of like harrowing to witness, you know, like the Newcastle fans dressing up in kind of like mock Arabian garb going to the stadium or like celebrating out in the streets of Newcastle with, you know, that stuff on. And not only do I think, you know, Saturday, the result Saturday was kind of a stark reminder to Newcastle fans that their team is still in 19th place in the Premier League very much facing relegation with an unpopular coach and Steve Bruce still in charge, but, but there's like a long way to go reputationally and football wise for this club. It's going to be a really uphill battle for the ownership group. Cause it's like three main parties who are going to be needed to make these decisions in a very rapid fashion. Like the January transfer window is only about a month away or two months away. So I think it's, it's definitely a paradigm shifting move but it's one that's going to need to be navigated extremely carefully by the new powers that be at newcastle
1: yeah i mean i think we we've hashed through the kind of like moral dimension of this before and just say that like there's a reason this couldn't go through the first time nothing has appreciably changed since then and you know having the frankly sort of medieval approach to, to politics and
2: world order that
1: MBS uses associated with the premier league is is a bad luck um so i think we've had that conversation before moving slightly more into like what is the response of clubs in the premier league um today there was an emergency meeting of premier league clubs to block same party transactions so basically like you couldn't have another Saudi Arabian company that's also owned by this firm sponsoring them. Obviously, this has been a perennial issue um, in the influx of money, but I do think there are a few key questions this, that this brings up, like, how will they sort of stay clear of FFP regulations as they need to, like, grow revenue massively, even if they can spend money themselves that they have? And Nick and I are were talking about this, and I kind of posed the question, on a sporting level, like, who is going to be the like marquee first signing for this Newcastle side. So we're comparing it to like the last time there was a really, really major tran- or takeover was probably like the PSG takeover. And what we saw was like, it was like Ibra and Thiago Silva were like became like the bedrock transfer. But obviously, Ligue 1 is a very different proposition than the Premier League, where there are already arguably seven teams that think that they're top four teams, and this would make it eight teams. And I think as a player, as a potentially good player, Newcastle, even with a lot of money, can't necessarily even guarantee you Champions League or even Europe at all. So I think it'll be interesting to see the types of players they're able to bring in at the beginning, because it'll have to be someone who's like a little below world class that's also going to get extremely overpaid. So I'm kind of curious what you guys think of um, like who that type of person might be.
0: Well, the player who first came to mind is a guy like Uzman Dembele. Like, I think it would be smart if Newcastle and their new ownership targeted players who were young at clubs that needed an overpay. So Barcelona obviously need the cash influx right now. Um, I think a guy like Ozan... Or even Coutinho. Yeah, or even Coutinho or a guy like Ozan Kabak had not been transferred this last window. Like, clubs that are in... B- clubs that ha- basically can't that, that can be made an offer that they can't refuse and like frankly barcelona is a club that at this point in time has that number do you think real madrid could afford to part with a guy like luka modric like what if what if newcastle came in and we like look we'll give you like 85 million and we'll make modric like the highest paid player in the world for like two years like i'm just i'm just bouncing ideas out there um but I do think you make a good point, Caleb, because having quality players isn't going to be enough for them to become competitive in the Premier League. And that's been shown time and time again by this United team, for example. And think about the amount of spending that would need to be done to get Newcastle to a valuation similar similar to that of like Leicester or of United or even of Spurs, who I think have the least valuable squad of like the big six right now, maybe Arsenal. It's, it's, it's a considerable amount. And so first and foremost, they need a coach. And I right. think the fact that Brendan Rogers said no um, is, or allegedly said no, is huge because you can put as much talent um, on one team as you want, and Steve
2: Bruce isn't going to get you anywhere. You know? So I think not only do they need a coach, but they need a coach. And even more importantly, perhaps a director of football who is going to be in line with the visions of the Saudi Public Investment Fund, of Amanda Stabley, and of the Rubin brothers. Like there's three hands in this pot that are going to need to meet very, very quickly in order to determine the direction that they want to go with this football club. And that's like a a challenge in and of itself. Cause when you think about, you know, when Man City, the takeover happened at Man City, that was like a very singular, very organized, they had a plan for how they were going to change the infrastructure of the club already set and ready to go. They had people who were going to be the focal points of, you know, that project, um, you know, Khaldun, Al Mubarak, and those, those people who are still at the club today, same deal with PSG, you know, Nasser Al-Khalifi has been there for quite a long time, you know, he lives in Paris, he's in charge of the day to day operations of that club and has been for quite some time, like with Newcastle, they're essentially doing this on the fly, like they're going to need to make these decisions in, in the middle of a season where like they're fighting to stay in the Premier League. You know, I checked the odds today. Newcastle are still pretty much two to one to be relegated this season. Um, And the infrastructure of the club is by far worse than what Man City inherited and definitely of what Chelsea inherited when Roman Abramovich took over. Newcastle's training facility is by far, you know, the least advanced in the entirety of the Premier League. You know, their youth academy has been poor for quite some time. You know, the Longstaff brothers are probably, you know, the shining stars of, the academy in the last few years and even they you know they're not like premier league world beaters by any means so it's like nathan said like you're going to have to sink so much into this project and they're going to need to do it soon in order for them to not go down and they're starting this infrastructural rebuild in the second division which makes their investments you know way less profitable you know
0: yeah and not to mention that their managerial decisions from on high have been really poor. Like Adam Armstrong, a guy who they let go has gone on to be quite good. Ivan Tony. At, yeah, you look at Ivan Tony or um you know the fact that as recently as I believe last year they had to ask for an emergency loan because they didn't have an academy keeper who would have been good enough to step into their first team, which is like pretty embarrassing when you look at how like Kevin Kelleher was able to come into you know cities are liverpool's net for for games when adrian and Allison were were out for various reasons so like it's going to be very interesting to see how they balance their goals with the necessity to survive first and foremost um because how are they convincing these marquee players to be part of their projects when there's no assurance that they can even stay up this year and so it's it's a real dilemma and it's not something that can be remedied the way i think Many people at Football Manager will go about it this year, which is just like sign the best players available and play them because that's not how it works.
2: And Caleb, you and I were talking about this too. Like what is right now, particularly if they get relegated, um, you know, who knows who their manager will be. And like, that's a conversation that we can definitely have too of like, who would we appoint? Like if we were the three parties in charge of Newcastle, but it's like Manchester is not too far away from Newcastle. Liverpool is not too far away from Newcastle. If you were a player of like up and coming ability, you know, on the precipice of, you know, the big career move, why wouldn't you try to first attract interest from City United or Liverpool, you know, even though Newcastle has the money, they certainly are fighting an uphill battle for clout, you know. Yeah, I mean, my point to
1: you yesterday was like, just the Premier League is like too crowded, honestly, for a move like, like I don't understand why. They didn't go for like, honestly, like they should have bought Valencia. That's my conclusion, right? Because Valencia yeah, has history. You. They have history. They've already, you know, amongst La Liga teams shown themselves to be willing to sell themselves to like a big owner. And, you know, there are just far fewer teams that can readily compete to win the league. Like I could totally imagine another world where if they bought Valencia, Valencia would be La Liga champions in three years right yeah but as it stands even the even though they are literally twice as rich as man city's group right like this they these are this is the most preposterously wealthy sports takeover in in human history right like we need to contextualize that i still don't think that guarantees you a premier league in five years like you'd you'd be hard-pressed for me to bet money on newcastle winning the premier league in five years I, i just don't see it so but i mean We'll see. We'll see who that marquee player is. But I think a lot of it will be like who who becomes the bedrock of this team? What 27 year old about to be in their prime is going to become the face of this Newcastle project? A project which could be incredibly toxic to be a part of.
2: Or like what a young up and coming manager is going to want to take on this project too. Are they going to go after, you know, like a Frank Lampard? Bring back A yeah. V B. No, they need, to, they need to get A V B or
0: they, to, they should have brought in Nate instead of uh, West Ham. <laughs> Nate um, from Ted spoilers. Lasso. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers, spoiler oh, alert. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. huge spoiler alert there. But, Who would um... you
2: rather have owning you? Rupert <laughs> from Ted Lasso
0: <laughs> or MPS.
2: Come on. What a question. Oh, but yeah, um... no, I think that's who's gonna be the bedrock of this team, both in terms of player personnel. But I think even more interestingly, in my view, at least is, like, is it going to be, like, Lucien Favre? Because that's, like, very different from hiring Frank Lampard. That's very different from hiring, like, an Eddie Howe or, you know, like, uh, I know he's at Everton, but, like, bringing Rafa Benitez back, per se. You know, like, there's a lot of different ways that they can go about building the infrastructure of this team. Like, if you think about when FSD took over Liverpool, their first move was to rehire... Uh, Daglish. Kenny dog Yeah. As sort of, like, a, you know... A, a way to ingratiate themselves to the fans who are so sick of Hicks and Gillette. And it's like, I wonder if, you know, an, an Alan Shearer being involved in the no, coaching staff. I,
1: I have a horror scenario. I have a horror scenario for you, Nick. Stephen Gerrard makes his Premier League managerial debut Ooh. at Newcastle.
2: I think, so Stevie, I don't think he would do it because I think he's, you know, very much waiting for the Liverpool job to open up. But it's also like the man has a very clear conscience. Like he's a good person at his core, you know, punching DJs in his 20s aside. Um, but I don't think, I think he's someone who's a very he's, a very, he's a very, he's a very savvy, like kind of like personal life maneuverer as well. I just don't think he would do it.
0: No, I mean, I, I think that there is a real world in which, um, you know, Newcastle end up getting like Sam Allardyce for this season. And then, you know, focus on on next season's appointment instead. The name that I have heard linked to them is Luis Campos as their director of football. The Lille a, guy. Yeah. And that would be super savvy. He's obviously found the kind of players um, who, you know, end up being world-class. Like everyone who Lille have sold all like $500 million worth. So And the Monaco <laughs>
2: project too. Like he was the Mbappe yeah. discoverer.
0: Yeah. So, I mean... There is sort of a situation too, where like, I don't know. I don't think that they have the clout to pull in any of the big impending free agents um, for this upcoming year, but it's going to be really interesting to see who they, I guess, who takes the leap first. And I would love to see it fail, like for every single reason. Like, first of all, because it's more competition for my club. Um, Second of all, I guess maybe first of all is the ethical concerns, but there are so many reasons to want this project to fail, um, and seeing how sort of blindly the Newcastle fans are like supporting it just as an fu to Mike Ashley, which like to be fair is deserved, uh, makes me like even more frustrated. I guess at, at the way that's yeah that's come to this.
2: I have a couple takes on this, and one okay, so yeah, one like I understand if you're a Newcastle fan who has been a Newcastle fan for a long time and like supported Newcastle under the era of mike ashley and has been waiting so long for you know ashley to step aside and for new owners to you know take up the mantle i get being happy i get you know getting a sense of ownership back of over your club but my question is like are you are you really and i I think the answer to that is no like look at the the people who are taking over like even if you are not informed on saudi arabia you know it's just one click google search away like one quick google search away from getting informed as to you know their operational practices in the past few years and like my advice to newcastle fans is like you can support newcastle without supporting saudi arabia like they do not need to be one and the same even though they are and they will be linked you know, for however long Saudi Arabia decides to own Newcastle, but I think you can you can go about you know supporting the team, supporting the players, you know supporting Alan St. Maximin, Joe Linton, Callum Wilson, and not you know show up to St. James's Park in like full mock Arabian attire. You know,
0: yeah, and I think there's also another point to be made, which is that like billionaires. In general are fundamentally bad and exploitative to a certain degree and like to what extent does like roman abramovich's like funding of settler violence in the west bank compared to this like obviously i think that this is the worst of all but in general a lot of the owners of these teams you know they invest in they do flawed things that harm people in various different ways and like I just think it's important that we recognize that like, it's not as if, it's not as if MBS is like the only bad guy. In this no, situation. absolutely. Cause like, No, I think
1: he is. Re- he is also no. the only one that's like a state. No, like I think, entire, no, I think
0: yeah. that's, I think that's, I think that's totally fair as yeah. well. Um, so I, I just, just, yeah.
2: Caleb, I think it's, it's, you know, to circle back to the Premier League as an entity, I think it's like, it's very damning and also quite fascinating that the Premier League itself has issued like no statement on this takeover other than like, you know, the very kind of like blunt, blank, Newcastle has been taken over by XX blah, 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 statement, you know, there've been no answers being given as to why this was allowed to go through, you know, we assume it's because Saudi Arabia or the public investment Fund outlaid some sort of money to clear, you know, their issues with piracy and be in sports and the Premier League rights, which was the main holdup of this takeover last year. Um, and I just it just makes me think about things, you know. Adam Crafton from the Athletic, he wrote a really great piece this past week about you know treatment of LGBTQ people in Saudi Arabia, and how awful it is, and how torturous it is for people who identify as that. And a big initiative in the Premier League has been, you know, the Rainbow Laces campaign every season. And you know, think about like how diminished that's gonna feel. You know, watching Newcastle players, you know, by no fault of their own, you know being a part of the rainbow laces campaign we know who owns the club and i'm just like i wonder what you think about how silenced the premier league has been about all this you know how it diminishes the real kind of like public and open social justice initiatives that they've tried to employ over the past year or so
0: I think we've known that they don't really care for a long time. I think so. Too, and I mean I, but think I think this is the
2: biggest flaunting. With the I,
0: yeah, I think with the exception of probably the WNBA and the NBA, major sports leagues across the world generally adopt these social platforms as a reactionary measure to retain fans rather than um, you know, as a core belief. And it's sort of just a sad consequence. It's no different than how companies will change their avatars to incorporate a rainbow flag during Pride Month, yep. it's rainbow capitalism, and it's crappy, and it's terrible. Um, and this is just going to be one of the more pronounced ways in which um, we get to see this. But like, you know, the Cronkies have donated to, um, you know, politicians who are very sort of anti choice, etc, cetera, etc, because they are American oligarchs, which is sort of what you do. Um, you know, even FSG, Donated to both sides, um, as wealthy people do. So like it's going to be interesting, but I don't think that it's like, I don't think it's any different from like the overall conversations. And if that's too fatalistic, then like I apologize, but um I don't know.
1: (laughs) No, I I think that's that's pretty (laughs) fair. I mean, like this whole decision was pretty much the Premier League version of like the Supreme Court shadow docket allowing the Texas abortion ban to go through. Right. It's like, we want to, you know, make a decision while telling the world we've made a decision as quietly um, as possible. It's also funny. You mentioned the whole uh, like changing company logos, because I forget which I think it was like a bank or something. Um, But there's like multiple Twitter accounts for the world. And, you know, in most places they changed it to uh, you know, the rainbow logo, whatever, but for like the Saudi Arabia Twitter account, it was just still green. During like Pride Month, <laughs> which I think just sort of brings this whole thing up. Um, but I mean, obviously this undercuts a lot of what the Premier League says. Um, but, you know, we we live with it now. I mean, it's not going to unhappen. And you, the thing is, you can't buy out the Saudis also. That's I thing I think the important thing to know, too. It's like now that this has happened, the only way Newcastle will ever change hands is if the Saudis decide to leave, right? Because there is literally no one richer than them. Like unless Jeff Bezos decides to buy it, but like, why would he? Like there are three people, Zuckerberg FC, Bezos FC, and then like Musk City. Right. Like those are, those are our options. Dude,
0: how funny would it be if Elon Musk <laughs> go over like Newcastle of all teams? that would be like, yeah, <laughs> no, but I think, I think these are all, these are all good points and it'll be interesting to see the degrees of resistance because this is also like another extension of the same, you know, money in football conversations that we had last year with the super league and stuff. Um, and so I think it's a, a problem that can be addressed in a number of ways with a new and enhanced and tighter FFP. With things like a salary cap.
2: Um, but here's uh, the problem, Nathan. With the, the, football is inviting people into its ranks that are just more powerful than football. Right? And so you can't adjust these rules now that, you know, there's literal state power involved. Here. It's just going to become so much harder. You know, you can't, you have to do it before. You have to adjust the rules and then allow the people to come in. You can't allow the people to come in and then adjust the rules. And so I think the more you see kind of like <laughs> overwhelming amounts of finances and soft power and state-backed clubs and venture capital firms and American, you know, kind of like vulture funds take over clubs, the 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 less the the less possible it's going to be for these rules to change just because of the power of these people backing these clubs. Like they're not going to, Saudi Arabia is not going to bend to, you know, the CEO of the premier league or, you know, the, 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 the executives at FIFA, right. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, we saw what happened when like City breached FFP and UEFA and FIFA went after them. City just lured up with some of the most powerful lawyers on the planet and said no essentially. And it's just one of those things where it's like, football has been doing this dance with money for so long where now I think like money has fully taken the lead and in my opinion the Newcastle deal kind of represents the like apex of this where it's like the game fundamentally that like we knew is like well and truly gone like a lot of the romanticism has died in my opinion and that might be kind of like melodramatic in a way but I think talking about like rule changes and stuff like that it's going to be so hard now with just the amount of power involved in all of this
0: well we do love ending our episodes on the most pessimistic note possible that this is why we normally go serious news first and then recap stuff later i think we sort of we sort of change that up tonight but who knows at this point next week we might know more about newcastle's plans we might know more about united's plans maybe there's steve a steve
2: bruce might not be manager who knows i and just steve want to bruce, say by the way i hate steve bruce i think so i think they should have sacked steve bruce because uh or before the game against because he's on 999 he's on 999 <laughs> <laughs> games in management before the tottenham <laughs> he game and just never just how, get a thousand. <laughs> how petty it would have been if they had just been like sorry steve you're gonna be staying on 999 for a while and it sacked him but alas you know steve got to a thousand and Newcastle are still in nineteenth. That the Premier is League.
0: true. Well, we've got a big week of games coming up. It's a Champions League game week. This Tuesday has a simply insane game of slates. Uh, insane slate of games. Excuse me. Very close. <laughs> um, game of Thrones
2: spinoff. Yeah, and then Wednesday. <laughs> so Dragons and and then, Game of Slates.
0: And then uh, Wednesday has a big load of nothing, highlighted by Barcelona traveling to Kiev at twelve forty-five. Oh, yeah. So, Caleb, maybe you can take your lunch break. Um, to watch that. But then we've got um, a full Caleb weekend. Barcelona looked
2: good this weekend, uh? though. Yeah. Did. Quick shout did. out. Quick shout out to Barcelona. Uh,
1: quick shout got... out to
2: uh, Serginio Dest on the right wing.
1: Also, yes. can I just say Game of Slate sounds like something that would be on like the Ocho and it'd yeah. be like roofing, like competitive roofing.
0: <laughs> yes. But then this whole week gets capped off with the Clasico on Sunday immediately oh. followed by United Liverpool, which is going to be a fantastic slate of games uh to 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 wrap things up and of course we'll probably end up recording at that point as well but until next time i have been nathan strauss
2: caleb reds i've been nicky Vinden. i Mm -hmm. hate i hate soccer news (laughs) that should be the new name of our
0: podcast (laughs) and we will see you all next time